Let me run you through the process of how today's sermon came about. After last week's sermon, I was like, man, I've been beating up on them the past couple of weeks pretty hard. It's truth, but it doesn't make it easy to hear for any of us. So, man, I don't want to preach something sissy, I guess you could use the word, but I want to preach something comforting. And I was praying about it and praying about it, and God was like, well, you've talked about the present struggles all the, all the bunch. Why don't you talk about what comes after? And I was like, well, that's a great idea. And I can't think of a better thing really to leave you with besides just besides salvation itself when I'm not going to be preaching to you guys for two weeks. That's right. You don't have to hear me for two weeks. And I was like, man, i got to leave them with something good so that when I come back, they're looking forward to it. If I leave them with something hard, they're going to be like, well, I hope he takes three weeks off. Heaven is one of my favorite subjects as well. We don't know a ton about it. The Bible doesn't actually talk a lot about it. The main reason for that, I believe, is because we don't have real words that can describe what heaven's going to be like. I don't know if I've said this before. You know, my dad had a lot of sayings. He was really smart. He still is. Really smart when it comes to um, answering children who ask questions that are difficult to answer. So... One of his favorite answers, and I've already said, I've talked to Maddie about this, and she's cool with it, so good. I'm going to use this answer for our kids as well. I would ask my dad, is X going to be in heaven? Is this going to be in heaven? What's going to be in heaven? At the time, I was, you know, I still am, really into sports, really into food, really into video games. And I'm like, am my PlayStation going to be in heaven with me? And my dad's pat response, and it works for everything, which is why it's so ingenious. I don't know if he came up with it. I don't know if he heard it somewhere else and repurposed it. I don't know. I've never asked him. But his response was always, Sam, what you need to be happy will be in heaven. And at the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, my PlayStation's going to be there. Now, maybe it will be. I don't know. Not going to go there. But why is that such a great response? Because what's the only thing you need to be happy? God. That's it. And he's going to be there. And ever since then, I've loved the subject of heaven. Because God's going to be there. And so it really doesn't matter what else heaven looks like. You could be living in a broom cupboard. And it'll be the best broom cupboard you've ever lived in. So we're going to talk a little bit about heaven. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later as well. But the other reason that I love heaven, the topic of heaven so much, is because there have been times in my life, just as I'm sure there have been times in yours, where the, the darkness and the pain and the suffering just seems overwhelming to you. And I will tell you this. For me, it was not a friend. It was not a family member. It was not a girlfriend. It won't be my wife. Sorry. One week. In one week, I'll be a half hour from being married, just so you know. How long do you think that... Fine. One week in an hour. We'll play it safe. Oh, that's right. We're getting married at 11. <laughs> I thought we were getting married at 10. Ha! <laughs> we're getting married at 11. In one week in an hour. 
listen, she just has to tell me what time to be there and I'm going to show up. I've already, I've already told her that. No. It wasn't even this, and you might go, Pastor, really? It wasn't even a scripture verse that got me through those times. It was the knowledge, and it comes from scripture, but it was the knowledge that it will pass away, and one day, I'm going to be in heaven, and I don't have to question it. Somebody just texted me. I don't know who. We're not going to check. I'm a pastor. They should know. I'm preaching right now. Come on. Let's read it. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. It reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. No, it won't be just men in heaven. Back then when you wrote, things were masculine. If you pick up a, a version of the NIV Bible that was made in the past 20 years or so, it will say he and she, or they. So don't worry about it, women. You still get to go. Sorry, men. It's not just us. It's not just a big man cave in the sky. It's not what happens. It'll be better than that, I promise. Let's dig into this. You notice you don't really have like a numerical system like normal. That's because I couldn't figure out a good way to make, you know, a three-point sermon. My one professor in college would be appalled because he told me it should always be a three-point sermon. It's not. I'm sorry. It's a seven-point sermon, literally. It's all right. Let's dig into it. The first thing is, um, and there was no longer any C. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. But I want to explain to you, there's two prevailing theories about what this verse means. The first is a metaphysical, the second is a geological. The first is that it means that there'll be no longer any separation, right? If we talk about a sea, it's a vast body of water that separates us from our neighbors across the pond, as we would say, right? And so it's this vast body of water. And so what some scholars believe is that this means that there will no longer be a separation between God and man and between humans. We will all be together, one place, one thing. Is that wrong? No, it's not. But it's not the prevailing theory about what this means. Most scholars believe that this literally means there will no longer be an ocean on the new earth. Here's one of the things that we don't talk about much with Noah. But have you wonder, ever wondered where the oceans came from? A lot of geological geologists and such believe that before Noah, there weren't oceans. There were rivers, there were lakes, 
but there were not oceans as we think of them today. Let me pose you a question. If billions of tons of water flooded the earth in a 40-day span, is that water going to dry up in the time it took for Noah to land the ark? No, it's not. The water had to go somewhere. So a lot of geologists believe that most of that water, some of it evaporated, of course, but most of that water is what currently makes up our oceans. It's kind of an interesting thought. I can't prove it. I can't disprove it. I wasn't there. So the prevailing theory here is actually that what it means is there will no longer be massive oceans. There'll still be, you know, most likely rivers and ponds and lakes and stuff like that. But there won't be these massive oceans like we have today. I just wanted to bring that up and talk about that just for a minute because it's in there. I don't know which one is true. If you want my honest opinion, I think it's kind of a combination of both. I don't think there's going to be any massive oceans, but because there's no massive oceans, we're not separated anymore. So there you go. Now let's move into some of the more theological parts of this passage. Verse 3 here, and I, heard a, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Let me ask you this question. Is God here right now? Yes, he is. He's omnipresent. Does God, and I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about Jesus, I'm talking about God the Father. Does God dwell here on earth? No, he does not. He dwells in the throne room of heaven. Think about that for a second. What this verse means is that God will get up off his throne and dwell among you and me. And we will be his people and he will be our God. It's such a simple sentence, but it's so profound. Why would this God, who is omnipresent, and he's not giving up his omnipresence, who is all-powerful or omnipotent, who is all-knowing, why would he choose to dwell next to me? I'm a puny little human. It goes back to that whole love thing, but think about that. When the new heaven and the new earth is created, God will choose to dwell on earth with his favorite creation, humans. And if you don't think you're his favorite creation, he did not die for your cat. Sorry. Not really, because he died for you, so that's better. God dwells among us. Not just his presence is there. He chooses to dwell with us. It's so incredible. I don't have words that can fully describe what that's going to be because I don't, I can't, I don't know. You're going to hear that a lot in this sermon. I don't know what that's going to be like because we don't know. But he's going to dwell among us. And here's the thing, right? Here's the verses that are probably the most popular of this section of Scripture. Verse 4 and verse 5. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. 
There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm not making some things new. I'm not just making you new. I'm going to make all things new. Notice earlier, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God says, listen, things got so bad and sin was so rampant that I'm not even going to let it be there. I'm wiping out everything and I'm creating it new so that there's no touch of sin He doesn't just wipe away mourning and crying and pain and suffering. He goes, I'm not even going to leave any vestiges of it. It will be gone. Completely and utterly. And notice he doesn't just create a new earth. He creates a new heaven too. Now, I'm not saying there's sin in heaven, okay? But I'm saying he goes, listen, we're done. I'm making it all new. It'll all be new. There'll be nothing to remember this sin by. There'll be nothing to remember the pain that you had. There'll be nothing to remember it. I've heard people say, do you think we'll know that there are people in hell? Not a chance. Because if we did, how could we ever not be in suffering knowing that they're there? So yep, you're not going to know that hell even exists. Because he wipes it all away because there's no pain or suffering. I mentioned earlier, right, when, before we sang the song, that I have bad knees. I also have a bad ankle. I also have tennis elbow. I'm a 25-year-old stuck in a 60-year-old 60 60 man's body in more ways than one. I can't wait till I don't have physical pain anymore. Here's the other thing, church, and I've been open about this in various other sermons. For a lot of my life, I've struggled with depression. I tried to kill myself once when I was in my early teens. I can't wait for the day where I don't have to worry about that anymore. I won't have panic attacks from anxiety. I won't have depression. It'll be gone. Completely, utterly gone. I won't have mental anguish. I won't have physical anguish. I won't have spiritual anguish. It will be gone. And I know that every single one of you in this room, because here's what I know, you're human. I don't have to know you personally. Now, I know all of you personally. But I don't have to know you personally to know that you experience pain of some kind, probably of multiple different kinds. But it'll be gone. Completely and utterly. It's hard to even comprehend. I've lived with pain in my knees since I was 10 years old. I don't know really what it's like to be without it. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to stuff like that. You just kind of accept it. But one day I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to take my first step and I'm going to be like, there's no pain. And then God's going to go, you're right. And even the memory of the pain will be gone. I won't even know I had pain. This goes so far beyond just God wipes away your tears. God completely erases. I used to say he takes white out and wipes out. No, that doesn't even cover it because you can get rid of white out. He completely and utterly obliterates even the notion that you had pain of any kind and physical anguish, a mental anguish, it's gone when you get to heaven.
And here's the thing, right? I love this part. The last part of verse 5. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. What makes words faithful and true? The one who says them or the one who writes them, right? Because a liar can say all kinds of stuff. doesn't make the words faithful and true. We know, right, God is perfect. He's never lied. He's never stretched the truth. He's never played the political game where you tell some of the truth but not all of the truth. He's never done any of that. And so when he says, right, these words are faithful and true, you know that they are. And here's the thing, right? Let's remember who wrote Revelation. John. Where is John when he has the vision? He's on the island of Patmos. He's in exile from Rome. Now this is not this, it's not a pretty little tropical island. It's a rock in the middle of the sea. It's not a great place. He's old, which means he's probably in all kinds of physical pain. And he's on a rock, just waiting to die. And God gives him this vision. So put yourself in John's shoes. And, and he's writing this, and he's, he's like, okay, okay, okay. And then God's up there, and he's like, and there'll be none of this stuff. And I can just picture John's feather, pen, whatever, just kind of stops. And it quivers there for a moment as he hears it. And I can almost just paint the picture, right, of God's there, and he's going, Oh, my son, your pain's almost up. Trust me, these words are faithful and true. And John writes them down. John, who has watched as his brothers and sisters in Christ have been killed before his very eyes, who is on an island destined to die, and God says, trust me. Trust these words because you trust me. You see, because here's the thing. Verses 4 and 5, right, they're great. But if they don't come from God, they mean absolutely nothing. They're of no comfort. They're of no help. If I was just like, listen, hey, when you die, there's no more pain. You'd be like, maybe you're right, but is there anything at all? But I come with God's words and I say, listen, he said it, not me. He said these words are faithful and true. I implore you this morning. That's like the fourth time I've used this word. Apparently that's the word of the day. Don't trust me. My words are not faithful and true. I try to make them as faithful and true as I can, but I'm a human. Trust this book and what it says. And it says there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. It will pass away. It'll be gone. The most vivid time that I remember these words being of comfort to me was my first year on Rise. I was at a camp uh, called Bethany. It's one of my favorite camps. It's where, oh, both years I was on Rise, everything went wrong, but God put it back together the way he wanted it put back together. Love that camp. It's uh, about three hours north of here in New York. And I got a phone call from my parents stating some stuff uh, about my nephew. That it wasn't looking too good at the time for, for a full adoption. I was sick, physically. I was tired. One of my teammates had almost punched me in the face. And this happened. And I was just defeated. I didn't have anything left to give. There was nothing in me. 
And we still had two more days of camp for that week, plus another six weeks of summer. Five weeks, sorry. Five weeks of summer. And I walked into the chapel, and I was like, what? And I I probably used a bad word, excuse me. I won't use it now, but I probably used a term that I shouldn't have. Am I supposed to do, God? I'm doing what you asked. And all you're doing is beating the snot out of me at every turn. And I'm sitting there, and one of the other band members, her name was Christine, was there, and she said, hey, is something wrong? And I was like, no. Yes. And we sat there, and I talked to her for like 10 minutes about all of this crap that's going on. And then God decided he was going to be God, because he was like, but here's this. And I just started talking about heaven. And then I can't wait to get there. And the more that I talked about it, the stronger my spirit became. Why? Because I was no longer focusing on the issues of the present world. I was focusing my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith and the reward that he's going to give me. The reward that we all would get should we accept him. And look at this. In verse 6 and 7, he pretty much says just that. Then he said to me, it is done. Where does that hearken back to? The cross. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. In case you don't know, that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. You don't have to pay a due. You don't have to do a certain amount of work. You don't have to do something. You come and ask me and I'll pull that pail up and give it to you freely. He's begging you to do it. Now, here's the thing. If you look at the notes there, it says it is without cost, dot, 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 in a way. Because here's the thing we do need to talk about. To live a Christian life costs you everything. To become a Christian costs you nothing. What do I mean by that? To live a Christian life is hard. You're going to face trials. You're going to face tribulations. Now, here's the thing. You're going to face them if you walk a secular life as well. They'll be different. So it does cost you in that way. But to drink from the well is free. It's a free gift. Christ did all of the work. You don't have to do something. Can you imagine? Now here's the thing, right? We know that God is omnipotent. He could have chosen to make salvation come through a different method. That's right. We often talk about, oh, well, Jesus prayed. If there's another way, take the cup. And then he still had to die. There were other ways. But God didn't choose him. Because in his his perfect knowledge, he chose the perfect way. But he could have made it so that in order for you to get to heaven, you had to give $10,000 across the course of your life. You better hope you live a long life. He could have made it for you to get to heaven that you have to do 500 good deeds over the course of each year. It has to average out to 500 good deeds, a little bit more than two a day, or a little bit less than two a day. He could have done that. He didn't. He said, I'm going to make it free. All you have to do, here's the only thing you have to do, you have to hit yes. That's it. I was trying to think of a different word besides implore. Beg. I can't beg you enough. I could get on my knees now and 
beg you, whether you be here or watching at home or watching later, whatever it be, to accept Christ. It's so simple. Just say yes. Because here's the thing. The opposite of all this is true as well. If you just say no, then your pain is not wiped away. It's intensified beyond what you can imagine. Your suffering is not wiped away. It's intensified beyond anything you could imagine. Now you might say, Pastor, it's 1030. Are you going to leave us with that? No, I'm not. There's one more verse. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That word overcome there, you know what it means? There will be things to overcome. If there's nothing to overcome, you don't overcome. So there will be things to go over. There will be things to strive against and fight against. But he says, listen to each person who overcomes. And you overcome, we read early in Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You overcome, you will be his son, his daughter, and he will be your God. And there's no height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor principality, nor anything else on this earth or in heaven that can separate you from that. Some of you are facing some really stuff. I'm going to restart that sentence. Some of you are facing some really tough stuff right now. Some of you have faced some tough stuff. All of you will face tough stuff. Overcome. And when it all seems like it's getting too much, remember verses 4 and 5 there. Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. I'll wipe away every tear. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and I will dwell among you. Rest in that. I'd like to say that I'm going to miss you all over these next two weeks. I'll miss you a little bit. A little bit. I'll be back at the end of July. Maybe I'll beat you up. I don't know. Probably not. Maddie won't let me then because she'll be married to me and she'll be like, what are you preaching about? I'll be like, oh, I'm going to tell them how horrible they are. And she's like, do you think that's the right thing? I will miss you guys over these next two weeks. We might, might, might be in the pew for the 19th. I'm not your pastor that day if I'm here. But you are all welcome to inundate Maddie and be like, oh my gosh, we need to see the ring and the band. It's going to be so great. How was the wedding? You're all welcome to go talk to her. Keep your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. And I will see you guys in two weeks. And I'll be a married man. So y'all can stop making jokes about me. Linnea. God bless. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk to uh, uh, Bruce here for just a minute if we want to come forward. So let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for heaven. Thank you that we get to be there one day. Thank you that you will dwell among us. Father, help each and every one of us as we go through this life, as we face hardship and trial and tribulation, to remember where we're going. It is okay to go, you know what? There's going to be a reward. It is okay to look at that reward and go, I'm going to be there. And God, help us to remember that whatever we need to be happy will be there. Can't wait to see you face to face.
praise you, Father. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen and amen.